This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. I'm Greg Davis, the executive pastor here. Pastor Chris, our lead pastor and his wife, are on a much-deserved vacation this weekend and actually are traveling back from their trip to Colorado probably right now. So they'll be here this week and, of course, look forward to being with you at the Ash Wednesday service this Wednesday. We're going to have a combined service. I think uh, Amber mentioned that, the youth and the adults together up in the youth center. It's always a very special evening on Ash Wednesday, so I hope you can join us. If you've not been here uh, previously for one of our Ash Wednesday services, I think you'll find it interesting. I think you'll find it meaningful, and it's a, it's a great time for us to begin focusing ourselves on what Jesus has done for us that we celebrate on Easter Sunday morning. So come Wednesday if you can. Chris will introduce at that time the new sermon series he'll begin next Sunday. And so uh, you'll want to come and just get in on the ground floor of the next few weeks of that. This morning uh, you noticed um, that we're really on plan B. Not only am I up here, but uh, Lauren uh, was sick and unable to uh, lead this morning. So Jonathan and Mallory stepped in and did a marvelous job with our worship today. We thank them for being ready to go and, yes, doing excellently in that, along with the rest of the band as usual. So, uh, and thank you for being here. You're never plan B, but you have to come and wonder, what's it going to be? Who's going to do what? But uh, we'll try our best anyway, even though uh, I enjoy it when Pastor Chris is here, and I know you do too. This morning, I wanted to spend some time you know, following last month's uh, focus on missions and this coming few weeks' focus uh, leading into Easter during the Lent season, this is kind of a free week. So Chris said, you can do anything you want. And I said, you really don't want me to do anything I want. I'll bring some soapbox in there and stand up and get everybody all riled up, and then you'll have to calm them back down over the next few weeks. But uh, so I'm going to try to uh, do something a little more uh, or causes a little less trouble for him when he returns. Uh, I want to talk to you about the creed this morning because I love the Apostles' Creed. And it's very meaningful to me when we say the creed together. You know, Christianity is called a confessional religion because we say what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Christian Church. I mean, these, these are not just beliefs that we've invented, but these are the things that God the Father has revealed to us. And thankfully, in our hearts, we've come to see that it's true and we believe it. And that's significant, that we say that we believe it. it it's very significant. So thank you today, together, for announcing your faith in God, your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the resurrection, uh, all of those things, very just vital things. The one thing I particularly like about the creed, though, is that it defines the family of Christians. Now, let me ask you a question this morning, easy question. Uh, let's do this. Uh, if you said the creed this morning, raise your hand. All right, good job. Now, if you happen to notice that there was someone in front or behind you to your right or your left that also said the creed this morning, raise your hand. Yeah. Isn't that something? Because the I believes of the creed, and this is maybe the most obvious thing for us to recognize, 
are we, their we believes. It's not just about what I believe, but it's also that you believe that. And together, we believe that. The creed defines the family of God. The scripture refers to believers as a holy nation belonging to God. That's a pretty awesome thought. It's like national pride and, and patriotism all wrapped in one. It's, it's pretty cool that we wave the Christian flag and realize that we are not just another nation defined by some geology or geographic boundary, but that we are a holy nation belonging to God. That always gives me great comfort. I don't know about you, but there's so much turmoil and unknown and unrest in the nations of this world. You know, sometimes people, uh, you know, I think we live in probably the greatest nation in the history of humanity, but some people in their frustration about the way things are here, you know, talk about wanting to go live somewhere else. But you know what? No matter what nation of the world you might find yourself living in, there's always going to be some of that feeling like this isn't quite right. And until you find your place in the holy nation belonging to God, you'll always feel that unrest. We can't look to the politics of man to solve the problems of our heart. It just never will. But our gracious God, in his tremendous love for us, has revealed to us an identity, an identity in unity, where all of us together are part of that holy nation belonging to him. And it's a pretty cool thing. I, I love saying the creed because it just brings all these thoughts to my mind. Identity and unity. Isn't that a nice thought? Although we tend to find many ways to distinguish ourselves as Christians and as groups of Christians, and by certain distinctives in our doctrines, sometimes we like to be known. But we need to remember that at the end of the day, no matter which track you may take, no matter which path you may follow. You know, this semester I'm uh, teaching a class at Oreo Seminary called Spiritual Formation and Discipleship. And one of the things we recognize in that class that historically in the church, there have been numerous streams, different streams, that Christians have followed to seek spiritual formation and growth in their lives. Very different streams, a contemplative way, a holiness way, a, a charismatic way, which we're pretty familiar with. I mean, all these different ways that Christians through history have followed these different tracks to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, all those tracks lead back to him because we have unity no matter what our preferences are, no matter what our preferred practices are, we have unity in our creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. You know, denominations are famous for pointing out their differences. I guess that's their identity. You know, we as the Assemblies of God, we say that we have a distinctive doctrine, which is baptism in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. Most of you are familiar with that doctrine. 
There are other churches that distinctively organize and recognize themselves by a doctrine of how they baptize people in water. We baptize by immersion. We baptize by sprinkling. We baptize infants. We baptize by pouring water. You know, different ways that we do that. And, and distinctively, we set ourselves apart and separate from other Christians by these doctrines. They're Christians that uh, make a real case out of the end-time beliefs that they have. I believe in the rapture. I believe in a literal thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. I believe, fill in the blank. And, and we're, we're famous for making up these doctrines that separate us from other Christians. Probably the most ironic of all of those is how our doctrine of holy communion is actually something that separates us quite greatly sometimes from other Christians. How can it be that something we call holy communion actually divides and distinguishes us where we don't have communion with some other Christians? You know that in many churches, if you're not a member of that church, you cannot receive Holy Communion. I'm not being critical of them. I'm not pointing a finger. I'm merely saying this is human nature, that we want to distinguish ourselves. We want to identify ourselves in unique ways. Yet when we say the creed, we find that our identity as Christians is in unity with all other Christians. And it just blows all of that stuff away. You know, there's nothing in the creed about how we baptize in water, is there? There's nothing in the creed about how we go about the celebration of Holy Communion. There's nothing in the creed about how the end time scenarios will play out and what that'll look like or what order those events might occur in or, or, or how we might anticipate them. Why? Well, because that's not what our identity is based on. Our identity is an I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And, and, and those are the foundations. Those are the fundamentals. And, and I guess that's what just makes my, my spirit leap within me whenever we say the Apostles' Creed. So, I've gotten that down. I've, I've told you how I feel about it. But I want to share with you that, I, you know, I think there's something really valuable about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, Paul's writing a letter to the believers in the town of Corinth, which is a town in Greece. And at the beginning of that letter, he starts, as he usually does, with a greeting and a salutation and, you know, just nice to talk with you again and write this letter. And he says that he's thankful for them and their faith in Jesus Christ and, you know, goes through kind of a usual pleasant greeting to them. But by verse 10... He begins his appeals to them. And the first appeal he makes to them, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, he's not saying here that you can't follow different streams to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You, you, might, you might be most natural and comfort, comfortable for you. You might find the, the charismatic tradition most comfortable for you. 
You might find uh, the evangelical tradition most comfortable for you. There, there are many ways that we can be conformed to the image of Christ. But he says here, regardless of which way that you may find comfort and, and, and fulfillment and meaning in, remember that you need to still be perfectly united in mind and thought. He said, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean to say, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Of course, that's the question he asked that has the obvious answer. Well, of course not. Of course not. Is Christ divided? Of course not. You know, I don't know exactly um, what cultural expression of Christianity you may have grown up with, but in, in, in my family and in my tradition, we were kind of led to believe that on Sunday morning, when we got in our car and went down to the Assembly of God Church, and our neighbor got in their car and went down to the Baptist Church or to the Methodist Church or to the Church of Christ or to the Roman Catholic Church or wherever they went, that, you know, we didn't really practice the same religion. You know, they, we liked them, we respected them, we thought they were good people, but we didn't really practice the same religion. You know, we noticed that these differences were significant. That's why I love the creed. The creed shows me that when Methodists, Presbyterians, um, Church of Christ, Church of God, all of these different groups all say this same creed, that we're not different religions, but that we have great unity with Christians everywhere. Now, I'm sure that's not a new idea to you, but the experience of that is so important for us because we spend most of our lives in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, in the community, in the market, and in those places are not just people from Christian chapel. But in those places are many Christians known to God who say the same creed that we do, who are our brothers and sisters. And that's encouraging to me. That's comforting to me. That's meaningful to me. The creed unites us with all others who believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, and allows us to pray as we did this morning Thine is the kingdom. You know, we prayed at the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Yours is the kingdom. We've got to stop building our own little kingdoms everywhere we go. You know, I want to plant a church. Many, many people are motivated to do this. Many pastors are motivated to do this. I want to plant a church so it'll be just the way I want it to be. They'll sing the songs I like. They'll play the music I enjoy. The service will last as long as I like for it to last. We will have the air conditioner set at the temperature I prefer. You know, and we want to just establish our own little kingdom here and there and all over the place, and that's not the gospel. That's, and that's why I love the creed. The creed reminds me that, no, the, the walls of distinction, the barrier walls that have kept us apart have been blown away. By Jesus Christ. 
That's what it says in Ephesians 3. He has blown away these dividing walls and united us in him. Amen? Amen. That's really, that's really good. That's really a very good thing that we enjoy. The creed reminds me that my tendency to distinguish myself as a Christian from other Christians is small-minded and at times can even be mean-spirited. Our identity with Jesus Christ is our identity together with other believers, no matter their age, their sophistication, their talents, their class, their ethnicity, or their citizenship status. It unites me with all other believers. Further, during this political season, I want to remind you that party and candidate is secondary to unity in Christ. Far secondary. It doesn't matter. We are part of this holy nation belonging to God. That's who we are. That's our identity. This is the reality of what we believe. It's what we confessed this morning in the creed. Our identity unites us. Now, secondly, I want to share with you that I believe the creed, the creed also clarifies our mission. On Wednesday nights this uh, past five weeks, I was in a class with some folks, and we were looking at resolutions that matter for this new year. And one of the resolutions we looked at was making a resolution to spend time in God's Word, to be exposed to the biblical material throughout this year, week by week. And we challenged ourselves to go through all four Gospels in the month of January. And then now in February to, of course, move on from there. And, you know, actually through a process of making a weekly resolution to the Lord, it's, it's our intent, those of us that were in that, that group, to complete our journey through the New Testament by the week of Easter. It's pretty cool that we're going to absorb or at least be exposed to all of that material in the New Testament. Well, part of that process that makes that so doable is I encourage people not only to read the Scripture, but to take advantage of time they have to be exposed to the Scripture that might not involve reading. Most people have a commute every day to school, to work, to something that they're involved in, and uh, encourage us to, to listen to the Scripture as we're driving to and from work. And, you know, it's really remarkable that I discovered with this group that just in a very short commute that, like I have here to church, I live a couple of miles from here and back home, and then I make a trip or two a week to Oral Roberts University to teach that class, just in those very small commutes, if I listen to the Scripture in the car all those times, you know, I listened to the entire book of Matthew that week that we devoted ourselves to Matthew two times. Two times through. In one week, with a relatively short commute, plus a few other errands around town. I mean, it's very doable that we commit ourselves to absorbing the Word. And I want to recommend that as a, as a way you might want to do that. To put on the U version of the Bible and in the version that you like to listen to one that's easy for you to listen to and understand, someone who, whose voice is pleasing to you or acceptable to your ear, and just listen 
as you're in your car. And it's, it's amazing how we can be exposed to large portions of the Scripture. And the value of that is that when we don't chop the books of the Bible into little pieces and read them kind of in artificially small pieces, but listen in larger sections, we catch more of the gist of the whole story. And there are elements in that story that kind of stand out to us that we might not have noticed before. For example, in Mark chapter 9, we were listening to the book of Mark, came across uh, this verse, and I, I've, I've heard it before, of course, and I uh, was familiar a little bit with this, this passage, but there was something new I kind of noticed in it. And, and this, this fits with what I'm trying to say about the creed and how it clarifies our mission. There was a time when Apostle John came and came to Jesus and reported something that he had seen. And, and he comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a great little part because we don't know who that was. There's no name given, no credentials given. We don't know the age of the person or the gender. I mean, well, it says he, but we assume it was a man. But, I mean, we know nothing about this person, and they're never again mentioned in the Scripture. But somehow, this person had heard Jesus say, in my coming, the kingdom of God is here. And had seen Jesus cast demons from people and set the captive free and had thought, praise God, the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God has arrived. The captives are now free. Did Jesus not say at the beginning of his ministry in, that he was the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and the, the various things and to set the captive free. Did he not say that? Of, of course he did. And this person evidently had not only heard him say this, but believed that the kingdom of God had really come in power and said, this is fantastic. Now in the name of Jesus, I can set the captive free by telling them about Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. You're free in Jesus' name. And tremendous things evidently were happening, though this person was not one of the 12, evidently not one of the close followers of Jesus. He wasn't known by them. And just, it was a complete surprise. But this is a beautiful thing that was happening. Yet, in their small thinking, the disciples thought, he shouldn't be doing that because he's not one of us. He's not part of our group. He's not a member of our church. He's not credentialed by the Assemblies of God. He's, you know... He's not one of us. He has no reason to be casting out demons in Jesus' name. So we stopped him. Jesus said, don't, don't stop him. If he's not against us, he's for us. This is how, this is how we are. And I was, I was listening to Mark chapter 9. What I recognized in listening to the larger passage was that just a few verses prior to this, which is probably, you know, chronologically we can assume was within a few days of when this instance had happened, was the time when the man brought his son, who was possessed of a demon, to the disciples and asked them to set him free from this affliction. 
and they were unable to do so. And so the dad brought his son to Jesus and said, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't help him. So I'm bringing him to you. Can you cast this demon from him that's causing him to throw himself down, throw himself in the fire, do all these horrible things? And, and Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you don't have much faith, do you? And now here, just a few verses later, John's reporting this to Jesus. We saw some other guy casting out demons in your name, so we stopped him. Well, of course they stopped him. They felt like, man, if we can't do this, this guy shouldn't be able to. But, but that's how we are sometimes. And, you know, that's why I believe the creed, the creed helps us to see that the brotherhood we experience with everybody who says the creed is also a partnership that we experience with everybody who says the creed in this mission that we have from the Lord Jesus. It's partnership with everyone who says the creed. This, to get in mission together, is a logo that the United Methodist Church is using to um, encourage missions from the people in their, in their churches. What I found interesting was this, in, in the opposite corner down here, together in mission, almost the same statement, is a logo used by the Roman Catholic Church to encourage their people to be concerned about the mission of the church. And I wondered, I thought, I wonder, as similar as these slogans are and these logos are, I wonder if anyone in either of these groups is even aware of what the other group is doing. Or even aware that they have logos that are almost identical in wording. And you know, sadly, probably not. Probably not. But that's why I love the creed. Because it forces us to join our hearts with all who believe in identity and unity, but also in partnership in ministry. We are together in mission with every other Christian that's taking the word of God, the gospel. We prayed this morning in our prayer, you know, thine is the kingdom, thine is the power also. You know, the power of the gospel is not ours to control. It's not the 12 disciples to keep within their group and say no one else can have it. But the power of the gospel is Jesus. It's thine is the power, and it's his power which makes the difference in the world. Sometimes we've had missionaries that have come through here, and um, they're going to a country where we do not have other missionaries serving, and they'll make a statement like, well, we'll be the first missionaries in this area or in this region or in this country, this part of the world. And uh, that's exciting. It's exciting to see us go to the, to the fringe and to the new territories of missions where no one else is working. Yet sometimes I've questioned them after that because I've wondered, are they really the first ones there? And I asked them, are there no other evangelical missionaries in that country? Are there no Baptists there? Are there no Youth with a Mission people there? Are there no missionaries from any other sending agency at all in that country? And usually they don't know the answer to that question. Because in our thinking, 
all we see is the people in our little group. And they knew they were the only Assembly of God missionary in that country. I don't belittle them for that or, or begrudge the fact that they use that terminology. But that's why I like the creed. Because the creed expands me in my thinking and prevents me from small thinking. Prevents me from looking at my little kingdom and forces me to think of his large kingdom and the big work that God is doing in the world by his spirit. Finally, the thought I was going to share with you this morning was how the creed speaks about our reputation. And as a pastor, let me tell you that we fight this all the time. And I acknowledge to you the challenge that we pastors face. You see, we are called to and we want and are serious about having excellence and effectiveness in every area of ministry and outreach that comes from our church or that is going on in our church. But if we're not careful, we find ourselves comparing and competing with other churches instead of building his kingdom. And I'll give you an easy example. Take this nursery renovation. It'd be very easy for us to have as our concern, how does our new nursery match up with those churches that are trending now in our community? Will it be as good as some of the other popular churches in this part of town that seem to draw a lot of young families? Now, that's not an altogether wrong thought, but if we gauge all of our decisions based on how we compare or how we compete with somebody else, then what is our concern? Is it the glory of God or our own reputation? You see, we pray, thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine is the glory forever. And the creed reminds me of that because as it joins my heart with all other Christians, it helps me see that, that my job is not one of comparing or competing. Our job as pastor, our job as Christians, our job as Christian chapel is not one to see if we can do something better then someone else does it. But our job is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. I love the way Chris presented the opportunity for us to renovate our nursery. And I think Pastor Chris has done a, a remarkable job in his challenge and in clarifying for us why that's an important concern for us. When he talked about aligning our facility with our vision, now that makes sense. That's what we should be concerned about. We have a vision. We have a purpose. We have a job we believe the Lord has given us to do. And we need to make sure our facility and all of our other activities align with that. And this is part of that, aligning our facility with our vision. But a pastor is, is constantly challenged by this. You know, I, when I was a lead pastor here and, and even now... You know, a pastor is constantly asked by their neighbors, by their relatives, by their friends, how's the church doing? And what people mean by that 
is how are the numbers? And when people start talking about numbers, then this whole reputation thing comes into play. You know, are there more people than last year? Was there more money given than last year? Did you give more than the church down the street? Are you bigger than fill in the blank? And this pressure, it just builds. That's why I love the creed. The creed frees us from the need to compare or compete with any other person because we're on the same team. Because we're all in his kingdom. We're all going for his reputation because thine is the glory. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us Christian chapel. It's about Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and us making his name famous. We're going to conclude this morning with Holy Communion, which I think is very fitting for what I've talked to you about and our unity with other believers. Ours is a communion with God through Jesus Christ and also a communion with each other. If you've not yet joined with others here in the confession of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to settle that in your heart this morning before the ushers come and pass the elements of communion because this is an open communion. We want you to share this together with us as we together come in thanksgiving for what Jesus Christ has done for our lives. So I want you to bow your heads and pray with me. And I want you to invite, I want to invite you to look into your own heart for a moment. You know, you may have stood with all of us and repeated the words of the creed this morning because everyone did and because you were asked to do so. But the question is, do you really believe that or did you just say it? Because it's very important. It's very important that you believe it in your heart. That down deep inside you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, my Lord. This is so very important. So I'm going to encourage you now to make that statement again with all your heart to the Lord in prayer. I believe in you, Lord Jesus Christ. I need you as my Savior and Lord. Coming to faith in Him is the most wonderful thing in the world because immediately we sense that we've been brought into relationship with God. That those things that have separated us from Him, the wrongs that we've done, the attitudes that we've had, the way we've treated other people, we come to Him in faith and we accept forgiveness from Him for all those things. And He cleanses us from all sin. And He makes things right between us. And not just right between us and God, but right between us and our neighbor. 
And that's the beauty of this celebration of Holy Communion together this morning. So Lord, we thank you for calling us together, for bringing us together, and for ministering to us together through a communion of your Son, His broken body, and His spilled blood. We thank you. We receive it gratefully from you. The ushers are going to come and serve us now. And if you would take the elements and hold them in just a minute, I'll explain to you how we'll take them together. I want you to do something uh, very carefully. If you can take the bread and the cup and stand. Just take your time. Good job. <laughs> Anybody's clothes to be spoiled? All right, good. What I want you to do as we share these elements together is not only think about the fact that we are united with each other in Christ, but I want you to do something to act that out today, to show that. I want you to take the bread and the cup that you hold and go to someone else here in the room, preferably someone that you've never met, someone different than you, someone older, someone younger, someone in a different part of the room. I mean, I was uh, thinking as uh, I watched that uh, Republican debate for a few minutes last night, I was thinking, well, we have one section of chairs for each one of those candidates here. And it could be that the people of a group like this would be divided about that much. But you know what? In Christ, we're not. Because in Christ, that doesn't matter. The most important thing is that we're one in Him. And it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, or if you're for this guy or that guy or this woman or that woman. It doesn't matter at all. What matters is that we're one in Christ. And we celebrate that first and primary above everything else. So I want you to take your bread, your cup. I know this is hard and this is a little bit awkward, but it's just as awkward for the other person you're going to. So that makes you feel any better. And I want you to take it. And then if you're really brave, since you've touched this with your own hands, you actually give that to the other person and take what they give you. You know, we used to share a common cup in communion. People in our cultures aren't always comfortable with that idea. You, you mean you drank out of the same cup with someone else? How better to show our unity. Maybe we can trust each other, but passing this bread to the other person. But if not, it's okay, I understand. Keep your own bread and just maybe exchange cups with that person. <laughs> but the idea here is, is very simple, but it's very meaningful. When you give this and say, you are my brother in Christ. You are my sister in Christ. I'm glad that we're one in him. And they do the same for you and say, you are my brother in Christ. You are my sister in Christ. I'm glad that we're one in him. And then share the elements together. Take the bread, take the cup, and then join back together for the final hymn that they'll be leading us in a final song before we leave. So take a moment, find someone you're not familiar with, 
say, hey, here it is. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.